please, ladies and gentlemen, a star that shines bright and high. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Time is a great healer. Ticklish business any way you look at it. Come on, we'll stick together. Hey, it's Ticklish Business, the podcast devoted to honoring and deconstructing classic cinema. As always, I'm Kristen, joined once again by Kim, and we are celebrating the centennial of the great, the amazing, the powerful... Judy Garland. And what better way to do that than by touching on some of our top three favorite Judy movies. And we are joined by an old friend. If you listen to our episode on Mommy Dearest, you've already heard her. She's back to talk about Judy with us. It is Izzy of Be Kind Rewind. Izzy, how are you? What a world we live in. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I am doing okay timing for this episode could not be better and or worse considering current events we recorded this show through a pandemic now we're recording it through monkeypox and horrific tragedies all sorts of things that i just feel have intensified in the last couple of weeks the world just being terrible generally so i think it's great that we're talking about judy garland actress who tried to bring a little happiness and light into the world and honor her for her birthday. So we are doing a top three, which is a round robin style for people who don't know our top three episodes. We will have a code word, AKA a word that if somebody has a movie placed higher on their list, they will say this code word and we will not talk about the movie until we get to the highest number on the list. Of course, it's Judy Garland. So the word we will be using this go round is the same word we used when we did our Gene Kelly top three. It is Makoko. That's what I was hoping you would do. (laughs) So if there is a movie that one of us mentions that is higher on your list, Izzy, just shout or lovingly say the word Makoko and that will be what we're using. Here is a short little ad for our Patreon. If you are a fan of old Hollywood, classic entertainment, and the joy of pop culture history in all its forms, please subscribe to our Patreon page like these wonderful people, Christine Meyer, Danny, David Floyd, Jacob Haller, and MCF. Our Patreon page is located at patreon.com slash ticklishbiz. That's ticklish B-I-Z. If we can reach 30 subscribers, you'll be treated to a full special episode looking at the 1976 TV biopic Gable and Lombard starring Jill Clayburgh and James Brolin as the iconic pair. Is the movie everything you'd hope it to be? And take that to mean whatever you want it to. Subscribe to Ticklish Biz and help us reach that goal. A special reminder, if we can get to 100 subscribers, we are looking forward to posting a deep dive into an infamous movie in Ticklish Business Circles. Does love truly mean never having to say you're sorry? Well, if we can get to 100 subscribers, you'll get to hear all of our opinions on Love Story. Trust me, there's a lot of them. Meanwhile, we have a new project in the hopper. Beginning in May 2022, we'll begin a brand new season of Based on a True podcast episodes looking at the king of rock and roll himself, appropriately entitled Being Elvis. 
The special series will examine a new Elvis biopic each week, beginning with Kurt Russell's memorable turn in 1979's Elvis and coming to a close with director Baz Luhrmann's new movie based on the singer's life entitled, you guessed it, Elvis. The series will be available to Ticklish Business Patreon subscribers beginning the week of May 27th. Now, back to the show. Let's dive right into it. I want to know what everybody's criteria was for this. Spoiler, I didn't want to include Wizard of Oz because Wizard of Oz is great. We all agree it's great, but it's transcended Judy and has become its own thing. I consider it more an ensemble film, so I didn't even bother to include it. That was really my criteria. I wanted movies where Judy shines and it is firmly her film and it's not being upstaged by anything else. Did either of you have criteria when putting together your threes? I also purposely did not choose The Wizard of Oz for exactly that reason. It's been done many times and there are deeper cuts that need more attention. So I decided to do that. But then I also just broke down three major categories. One is dramatic acting, one is dancing, and one is musical comedy. I picked one that I felt fit each of those categories the best. Kim, what about you? Well, I should say that I too stayed away from Wizard of Oz. So if you're here to hear us talk about Wizard of Oz, I guess you should reevaluate your priorities. We don't want to turn them off in the episode, Kim. So if you would like us to talk about Wizard of Oz, of course, we'll probably talk Wizard of Oz throughout this episode, but please do not immediately turn off this podcast because the Wizard of Oz is not represented here. There's just so much and Judy is so Judy and there's so many different ways you can take it. I have a couple, I think, deep cuts on here, but I thought of the movies where I was rocked by Judy. I'm usually on these top threes. I'm the one who sometimes picks the movies where everybody says, well, that's not so-and-so's movie. But if I was wowed by some element in her performance, I know a couple of these aren't going to be musicals. There's maybe one not so deep cut, but I have some certain things that I love when it comes to Judy that I'll go into throughout. And if those shined out for me, I think it's what really made me pick it. Okay, so let's jump right into it. I'm going to let our guest start first. Izzy, what is your number three? Ooh, my number three was presenting Lily Mars from 1943, which is a story about a young woman who wants to become a stage actress and her neighbor happens to be a Broadway producer and she schemes to capture his attention. And the reason I picked this was because I love her musical comedy role here. There are so many moments where she takes the stereotype of the young girl who desperately wants to be an actress and is not very good at it and over-exaggerates all of her gestures and her line deliveries and delivers that in a way that only a very skilled, subtle actor can in a parody of that. And apart from that, they're just great music. She looks incredible. She just seems to be really thriving in this moment. That is why I love that movie. Presenting Lily Mars almost made my three as well. It was one that I saw last year and I just fell in love with it in spite of the fact that it's Van Johnson, right? 
or Van Heflin, excuse me. I get my Vans confused. Van Heflin, yeah. I never remember which is which. And I'm not big on Van, either Van. Van Heflin is not a name that I necessarily watch his movies, but she is just so funny. There's a scene in that movie where she has her little sister pretend to be his child. And it is just utterly hysterical how committed Judy's character is to being in a movie in her own head. And I think a lot of this is what people, when they parody Judy, are parodying this depiction of her, the one that is very showy and very flamboyant. But it just shows why she's so great. And I would say that we can talk about this as we go through our three. I would say this is probably Judy at her most beautiful. That might be a controversial statement, but I think that she is utterly gorgeous. She unfortunately was an actress that did not get to look beautiful in a lot of her films. And I think she's just utterly, utterly beautiful in this movie. I just first time watched this two days ago. It had been one that had just snuck by me. I don't know why, because most people will know I'm chronically trying to catch up on Richard Carlson's filmography, and I will see it all at some point. But that was part of the reason why I tuned in and for this top three. Speaking in all honestly, it probably was number four for me. It was so close to nudging its way in here because of everything you both just said that scene with her and the little sister just leapt out to me as just a moment of gold. It was so Judy and so funny. The music was great. She looked immaculate. I will say I love Van Heflin, but throughout the entire film, I was watching it going, oh, sweetie, no, sweet. Oh, honey, you're so young. Don't do that. (laughs) It was such a fun musical and I adored it. My favorite scene is where she comes down the stairs and she's like, oh, oh. And it's just the most exaggerated performance I've ever seen. But it's so wonderful and it's very, very funny. I watch it all the time and it gets me every time. It's great where people definitely need to watch it. Kim, what is your number three? Probably the shallowest of cuts. Meet me in St. Louis. Technically, this is my three as well. So Izzy, do you have it higher? I didn't. But that was another Wizard of Oz thing for me where I was like, is it too obvious? (laughs) But I mean, I agree. It is technically a top three. It's why it's my three, because I was doing the same thing of, is this too obvious? And is this one I should stay away from? But I just love this movie so much that I have to leave it on the list. Let's talk about Esther Smith, Meet Me in St. Louis. Kim, why is it your number three? When you said in the last one, this is as beautiful as Judy has ever looked. This is what I think about. This is that film that I think about as quintessential Judy at her finest. The look of this film alone, every frame is like an oil painting. For those of you, if you've been under a rock and haven't seen it, essentially the story is about the Smith family living in St. Louis in what, 1904. They're gearing up for the World's Fair and it's going to be all great. All the kids and Tootie's being Tootie. We got to represent Margaret O'Brien. The family's thrown for a loop when dad, played by Leon Ames, comes home and they learn they're going to go to New York because they can't go to New York. Why would they want to go there? They live in the greatest city in the world and they're going to miss the World's Fair. It's an MGM 1940s musical at its finest. The music numbers alone that we get from this movie, The Boy Next Door, the trolley song, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Every moment in this film is iconic. Judy was never looked better. 
it's hard to put into words. This struck me as soon as I saw it the first time. And I came to this musical late. It was something that I definitely saw after college for the first time, only because it was one of those where it's like, I've seen all the scenes. It's definitely in my top handful of musicals as well. This is definitely one that I really, really enjoy to the point that I made my family watch this during a blackout and they still haven't forgiven me for it. This was the movie where Judy fell in love with Vincent Minnelli and she maintained that he was the one director that understood how to light her and how to work with her as a performer. And you can definitely see it. The way that she is framed looks like a Gibson girl painting. She is wearing very flattering costumes. I would say the wig isn't necessarily flattering, but Judy, unfortunately, was not given many flattering wigs in her career. It's definitely an ensemble, but she is the standout in the ensemble. Because keep in mind, maybe outside of Mary Astor, every other actor in this was MGM stable players. Nobody was bigger than Judy Garland. This is the movie that is built around her. When we talk about nostalgia and the nostalgia boom that we're seeing now with the 1980s or the 1970s, 1944, the post leading into the end of World War II, the nostalgia was for turn of the century. The turn of the century portrayal here is certainly romanticized and idealized, but it's done in such a skillful, charming way. This is a movie that outside of Judy's performance has a small child that is obsessed with death and murdering her dolls and has a Halloween sequence that is both creepy and vaguely terroristic (laughs) with the children assaulting the neighbors with flour. It's just great. And Judy as this boy crazy yet very stable young woman who is both able to be this romantic leading lady while also still biting a guy because she thinks he tried to hurt her little sister. It's just such a great encapsulation of why Judy was able to go so skillfully from one genre to the next. It just occurred to me that Tootie is the original Louise Belcher for our Bob's Burgers fans (laughs) out there. Something to add to that too, is just for people who are constantly trying to get their friends into classic films. This is absolutely one of the best gateway drugs you could pick. If you know someone who's open to, to watching musicals, because I've watched this in a theater very recently, actually. And it was really incredible to have an audience experience it, to just hear crowds of laughter responding to this very old film at this point. It really just holds up. The humor is solid. The songs are absolutely gorgeous. Another strength of the music in this is that it draws on all of Judy's musical talents. So you get a ballad, you get the sensitivity of have yourself a merry little Christmas, but you also have these more comedic moments and her dancing with Tootie and all of these things are very light and airy and demonstrate how purely charming she was as well. It really is just drawing on every strength she had and just has the best of the best putting the rest of the film together as well. So you really can't go wrong with this one. Maybe in St. Louis was my number three. So I'm going to kick it back to Izzy for her number two. Okay. My number two was Summerstock. The reason I picked Summerstock is because, as I said, I was kind of looking for one that I thought showed off her dancing quite well. You could absolutely convince me that this isn't the movie she dances the best in. I think there are arguments for several of them. But having her paired with Gene Kelly is just 
absolutely magical. I think he shows off like her athleticism in a way that a lot of other dances quite don't, or a lot of other films that she dances in quite don't. There's argument to be had for dance sequences that don't necessarily require a lot of dancing, but showing off a performer's charisma simply by being there and maneuvering among a chorus and the embodiment of that is get happy. When you're thinking about that number and how much it's come to embody Judy's imagery in pop culture, it's for a reason. It's one of the most stunning sequences, obviously filmed much later than the rest of the movie was, but they made a good choice to bring her back to do it because it's a wonderful number. Summerstock is one I really need to revisit. I saw it once and I didn't really care for it, but I feel like I was not paying enough attention to it. It's certainly in Judy's oeuvre. Most people know, if you don't, her personal life at that time, this was a movie that was a difficult shoot for her. And the Get Happy number is one where many people thought she was heavy and then she went away and she came back and they were like, oh, her body's at its peak. And it was so great. But her and Gene Kelly were paired more than once. And their chemistry is just undeniable. We've talked about Gene Kelly just being far more of a sexual figure than he's given credit for. Judy was never really in situations where she got to be sexy. Certainly not having the chemistry that she has with Kelly, where these are two people that you definitely think are going to hop into bed together. She wasn't having that chemistry with Mickey Rooney. Okay, sorry, I'm not sorry. Her and Mickey, just that's not a couple you want to see doff their clothes and get in bed together. Her and Jean, I support that. I'm glad that you included Summerstock. Oh, Mickey Rooney. <laughs> the less Mickey Rooney. Mickey Rooney is just like a jump scare. <laughs> Mickey Rooney of it all. <laughs> I need to revisit this one as well. I've seen this once, but it has been a couple of years. Like I think about it along the lines with the Easter Parade too, where I look at it and I go, I just have to give Judy all the props in the world. What I really hone in on her is I see her as so relatable. She was a star, yes, but there's something that crosses beyond. She's a star you can sympathize with, you can identify with, you can see her yourself. And, and she never strikes me as a natural dancer. But my goodness, she's matching up with Gene Kelly, Easter Parade, matching up with Fred Astaire. It doesn't get much more iconic from Judy than Get Happy. Just having that number in there alone speaks for itself and what she was able to do there. It's yet another film that was just a testament to what she can bring and how she brought her A-game and how she was able to sell it even through the roughest, most tumultuous times she might be having. You want her to succeed. Kim, what's your number two? I have been going back and forth on this pick. I struggle with it a little bit, but I have to say A Child is Waiting, 1963. It's one of the deeper cuts on this list. It is Judy and Burt Lancaster in John Cassavetti's second mainstream studio film. Judy plays a woman who has come to an upstate New York, they use the phrase, institute for developmentally challenged children. And she's one of the teachers. It's about these children and the problems at the school and then underlying this romantic storyline with Burt Lancaster. 
this is one of those films, how I just mentioned with Get Happy, where Judy, for me, is at her best. I love her in a dramatic role. She's almost like a Marilyn Monroe. You don't necessarily think of them in dramatic roles. You don't necessarily go to their dramatic roles first. My God, Judy never got enough credit to how much she could take your heart, rip it out and stomp on it when she could. She had such soul and such power to her. And this is a Cassavetes film, so it's not an easy sit. It's quite a challenging sit, actually. And it's there are parts that are very dated. But Judy's dramatic portrayal in here is second to none. It's one that I don't think gets enough love in terms of Judy performances. I had to recognize this one. I think of Marilyn in dramatic roles. I don't know about you. (laughs) Oh, I love her in the dramatic roles, but you always go to the musicals first, but something like The Misfits, Marilyn deserves more credit than she gets. Yeah, I haven't seen this movie. Most of Judy's later stuff, I tend to not see because it doesn't look like something that I would be into. But I keep saying I need to see some of her later stuff post Star is Born. Glad that this made the list. I wanted to support everything that you were saying, Kim, because there's this early 60s streak when she's still working in film that is just a truly stunning run between Judgment at Nuremberg, A Child is Waiting, and I Could Go On Singing. All of those are fantastic dramatic performances. Judgment at Nuremberg, she nearly won that Oscar, of course didn't, but you could make the argument that she should have. But all three, she really, by that point, had tapped into something extremely vivid within herself that just is pretty extraordinary. So I'm glad that we have that era covered. Here is a short little ad for our Patreon. If you are a fan of old Hollywood, classic entertainment, and the joy of pop culture history in all its forms, please subscribe to our Patreon page like these wonderful people, Christine Meyer, Danny, David Floyd, Jacob Haller, and MCF. Our Patreon page is located at patreon.com slash ticklishbiz. That's ticklish B-I-Z. If we can reach 30 subscribers, you'll be treated to a full special episode looking at the 1976 TV biopic Gable and Lombard starring Jill Clayburg and James Brolin as the iconic pair. Is the movie everything you'd hope it to be? And take that to mean whatever you want it to. Subscribe to Ticklish Biz and help us reach that goal. A special reminder, if we can get to 100 subscribers, we are looking forward to posting a deep dive into an infamous movie in Ticklish Business Circles. Does love truly mean never having to say you're sorry? Well, if we can get to 100 subscribers, you'll get to hear all of our opinions on Love Story. Trust me, there's a lot of them. Meanwhile, we have a new project in the hopper. Beginning in May 2022, we'll begin a brand new season of Based on a True podcast episodes looking at the king of rock and roll himself, appropriately entitled Being Elvis. The special series will examine a new Elvis biopic each week, beginning with Kurt Russell's memorable turn in 1979's Elvis and coming to a close with director Baz Luhrmann's new movie based on the singer's life entitled, you guessed it, Elvis. The series will be available to Ticklish Business Patreon subscribers beginning the week of May 27th. Now, back to the show. Well, my number two is a sharp divergence back into 
Judy Garland in the 1940s. It's 1946's The Harvey Girls. Nobody has a Makoko moment for this. Yay. The Harvey Girls is directed by George Sidney. We've talked about several of his movies on the show previously. Judy Garland plays a woman named Susan Bradley who is traveling out west on the Atchison, Topeka, and the Santa Fe. You all were singing it anyway. To meet a husband that she's never seen before. This is the early 1800s version of mail order brides or catfishing or what have you, whatever the term you have for it. She has no money, nothing to her name. The hope is that she's going to meet this guy and they're going to fall in love and get married. She, of course, shows up and expectations versus reality are not what either of them, which I love, is what the other is hoping for. The guy she meets is not who she necessarily wanted. He's played by Chill Wills and she is not what he wanted. So they decide, well, they're not going to get married. She decides to take a job at a Harvey house, which is kind of like the 1800s version of Hooters. I don't really know. It's where young, beautiful girls serve up steaks to the hungry men of this town. So she decides to start working there and everything is cool until the saloon girls or sex workers, however you want to classify them, led by Angela Lansbury have decided that these women are too prim and proper and they're, they're competition for us and we got to run them out of town. Of course, there's a love story with some guy played by John Hodiak. Nobody really cares about him because he's John Hodiak. I just find this movie to be a very quintessential Judy movie in the sense that you have the plot, but really the plot is ancillary to just all the bizarre shenanigans that happen. So There's a subplot where the saloon women take the meat from the Harvey house and Judy's got to go into the bar with guns to steal the meat back. There's a cat fight between the saloon girls and the Harvey girls that involves Judy having to put her fists up and be completely ineffectual in a fight. Virginia O'Brien, who was pregnant and ended up leaving the movie halfway through, has a performance with Ray Bolger, of all people which is a lot of fun. But if you listen to our Red Dust Gene Harlow episode where I said, I really wanted Mary Astor and Gene Harlow to end up together. I say that I really want Judy and Angela Lansbury to end up together in this movie because there is a great moment at the end of this film where these two women who have been adversaries the entire film come together and they both were once in love with the same man, which I don't really understand. Again, it's John Hodiak. Come on. Angela Lansbury says, you love him. Why are you on this train? Why are you even here? And they have this moment where they both understand each other and become friendly. At the end of the day, the movie is really about female friendships, whether that's Judy's friendship with the other Harvey girls, again, played by Virginia O'Brien and Sid Charisse, who is there. This isn't really her movie, but she is there. Or Angela Lansbury is this grand dom. Even though there are men that run the town, she is one of them, the equal in power to them. So I think it's a really subversive little film that is classified as a typical Judy musical, but has a lot more to it. I'm happy to make it my number two. It's been a while again since I have seen this one. I mainly stay away from it because every time I see Atchison, and Topeka and Santa Fe, I have that stuck in my head for six months. And now it's going to be solidified in there for a while. Everything you said is completely 
spot on. Angela Lansbury is a treasure and whatever she does. She's delighted me in that the first time she saw it. Judy's amazing. The Jack Benny fan in me. I love Kenny Baker, who's in that as well in one of the nameless dude roles. This has probably one of my favorite Ray Bolger dance numbers. So in terms of a film, it's solid and it's fun. It has a stunning ensemble and it's definitely a great watch. One of my favorite Judy scenes ever is when she is barging into the saloon, guns blazing, and is trying to capture everybody's attention, like stick them up and nobody cares is, or is paying attention to her. And it's just so awkward and so funny. This is a really good quintessential Judy Garland movie, as you mentioned. Some excellent songs. This is a good example of Angela Lansbury's like villain era. Very much under-discussed. Her MGM 1940s years were full of these kinds of characters where she's inexplicably playing 10 years older than she was. She hated all of them, which breaks my heart. I wish she would embrace them. I know. We're just preparing her for Manchurian Candidate at this point. It's a fantastic movie. It looks very beautiful, too. The lavender color that they give her through most of this film just looks really excellent on her. I always think about that dress, weirdly. Like Meet Me in St. Louis, it's another one of those candy-colored, technicolor dream of a picture. She had that run throughout that period where they didn't get much more pretty than those. Those were some truly beautiful films. Izzy, what is your number one? It will come as no surprise to anyone who knows me that my number one favorite Judy movie is A Star is Born from 1954. It is, in my opinion, one of the best screen performances of all time. And the reason that I ranked it number one, aside from just loving the film in general, is that it draws on all of the different categories and skill sets that Judy has and truly maximizes her skill in each of them. So you have these 10 minute dance numbers where she's excellently going along with a huge chorus. And then you have the man that got away, which is one of the best sung performances in film of all time. And then you have that scene in the dressing room where she's breaking down and berating herself for her reaction to how she was dealing with her husband's addiction. And it's extremely rare for an actor to be very good at one thing. Only so many people become legendary for one thing. It's even rarer for someone to be extremely good at three things, to be a legitimate triple threat. And that is what she does in this movie. She shows us that she can do everything better than everyone else. And that is extraordinary to me. And nobody will ever convince me that it's not one of the best things ever done. This was my number one as well. So I will just jump into why I love it. This has been a movie that's been remade several times. It's become this role that if you are one of the best singers or best actresses you you play it, whether that's Barbara or Lady Gaga or Judy Garland. This was a movie that had already been set up before with Constance Bennett. So it's old Hollywood hat by this point. But what I love about Judy's role as Vicki Lester is that it's impossible for me not to see it as Judy almost commenting on herself. And there's been a lot of discussion about how much of this movie is 
touching on stuff that she was famously going through in her personal life, whether that's the born in a trunk sequence, which is very similar to her upbringing. That scene you mentioned, Izzy, where she's talking about his addictions, that's a scene that I will watch and just sob because it's probably one of the best scenes by an actor ever. You watch that and you feel that she is talking about something that she knows about, where she's telling him he tries. I hate him for failing and I hate me too. That's her talking about her. It's just utterly, utterly brilliant. It is a devastating film. I feel bad for James Mason just because he gets blown out of the water compared to Judy. If you've listened to our Oscar snubs episode, I maintain that she should have the Oscar for this second episode in a row. Do not email me your Stories about how the country girl is a great movie and no, Grace Kelly. I don't care. Judy should have the Oscar for this. Leave me alone. It's a brilliant Hollywood movie about Hollywood, but it's also just in a fantastic Judy Garland performance. No actress has ever topped it. I'm sorry, Barbara. I'm sorry, Gaga, but Judy. Judy was the best. Judy will always be the best. She will own this role forever. I've just irritated so many fans of different groups. I also just want to say how ridiculous it is that the one A Star is Born movie that does not have an Oscar for its music is this one. Are you writing me? (laughs) I will admit, and don't send me emails, everybody. I have struggled with each and every version of A Star is Born. I have tried. I have tried. And something about it just never gels with me. But in terms of everything you guys are saying, in terms of... Judy, like I mentioned in my last pick, the raw nature of what's going on on screen and how she manages to nail the music. But at the same time, she's feeling things so vividly and just how deeply wrapped up some of this is, how much of it shines through. In terms of a Judy Garland performance, I would completely concur. And I, she should have had that Oscar. Hard-pressed to think of her being better. This is a pinnacle for her in terms of what she's able to do dramatically and musically. This one stunned me, and perhaps a part of the reason I don't like it is how raw this film feels. I don't find it pleasant, but she's tapping into something here. She's tapping into something very powerful, and it shines. And I would completely agree that she should have had that Oscar. If she should have been recognized for one role, it should have been this one. Kim, what's your number one? I have to recognize one more deep cut for taking us back to the 1940s again, the clock. Once again, and I think everybody can probably see what I'm picking up on here, but I stayed away from Judy Garland's work. Not stayed away, but for a long time in my childhood, Judy Garland was Judy Garland. She was the musical, but then I started watching her in probably my 20s. And it struck me just how relatable she was, how much I saw parts of myself in her, how much her struggle. She liked boys. She wanted to be seen. She is such a vivid presence just for selling it and bringing everything she's got, but she had such a hard time. In terms of a dramatic pairing that brings such unspoken power, I can't think of a pairing quite as good as Judy Garland and Robert Walker, two performers who had a hard, hard 
hard go of it. Those two are complicated and challenging and have such personal baggage behind them. But in a film like this, they're gorgeous together. It's a gorgeous pairing and there's so much that happens in terms of this simple post-World War II sweet, adorable love story. And I like these two together as well because there's such glorification to that post-World War II era to the end of the war and how everything was depicted. I see these two as the post-war era, how things were. I see the realism. This is an incredibly real pairing. I see them as an incredible relatable pairing. It's a deep cut that I wish more people would watch. Yeah, it's definitely a different type of movie set in real time. Both of them are really good. This is one that I don't watch a lot because it is very much a romance. And I got to be in the right frame of mind for that. But it's definitely a very underrated feature. This is actually my number four. So I'm glad that you had placed it on your list. What's nice about this film is that it proves that Judy isn't just her songs. For example, when you look at A Star is Born, it's like, yes, we have the dressing room scene, but we also have songs that we can point to to say, isn't she such an icon, whatever. But then you have the clock, which proves, of course, we want her to sing. She doesn't need it to be one of the most magnetic women on the screen from this era. She can totally stand on her own in just a more standard romantic drama and make it absolutely compelling just on that note by itself. This is also Minnelli. You do get that care with which he shoots her in Meet Me St. Louis. And here it's done in black and white, which is nice contrast. You can see how he frames her in different situations, which is really nice. One of the things I think about with Judy is that's under discussed these days is that she was really a pop star as well. Her music was the pop music of the era, which means that her relatability struck on several levels. It's that she's not the most allegedly the most gorgeous girl in the room. It's also that she's making the music that everybody wants to dance to. She's the one you want to hang out with, chill out and listen to a record with to see her play this woman who is just meeting a soldier. It feels very of the time and what girls her age would have been feeling and like wanting to see from a romantic drama. So that's a really nice representation of the era. We have honorable mentions. I'm sure we do. Izzy, were there any films other than The Clock that almost made your list that you wanted to shout out? I would love to shout out Ziegfeld Follies. It's not her film, but her sequence in that film is the standout performance. So she has a little insert, I guess, as this woman giving an interview. And it's a parody of Greer Garson, apparently. in which she's just acting like this very proper, over-the-top, but very campy diva, I guess, who is giving an interview and the chorus boys are all the press. It's just truly one of the great entrances of the camp canon that exists. So I would definitely recommend if you haven't seen it, just search it on YouTube because it's definitely out there. My honorable mention, a lot of them were already included, whether that was The Clock, or some of the other ones that we've already talked about, I would have to, of course, shout out. We didn't have to use it, but 1948's The Pirate, directed by Vincent Minnelli, starring Judy and Gene Kelly. Yes, Judy Garland plays 
a Latina named Manuela, but the rest of the movie is just an utterly bonkers story about a thirsty lady who, again, is in love with some man that doesn't really exist, or he does. The real Makoko is actually played by Walter Slezak, but she falls in love with her conception of Makoko, which is this character of Seraphine played by Gene Kelly. There is just some weird hallucinogenic-esque dance performances. Gene Kelly wears short pants. Judy is just hungry for whatever you want to say she is hungry for. She is just into him. And it's great. It is bonkers, but I love the insanity. It's just a perfect weird time at the movies. Kim, do you have honorable mentions? There's so many that could be mentioned. Looking at her filmography, the one that I didn't mention that kept trying to nudge its way onto my list, Easter Parade. It's always been a favorite of mine. Has it evolved in my head each time I've watched it? Yes. Have I decided that Judy Garland really, she could do better than Fred Astaire? Yeah. Yeah, she could. Is Don Hughes a jerk? Yes. Should she end up with Theodore Lawford? Yeah. That would be probably a far more fun pairing and they'd be far cuter together. And he deserves her far more. But in terms of an ensemble putting together Fred Astaire, Judy Garland, Ann Miller, Peter Lawford, and the music numbers that we get in there, these are one of those musicals we have American songbook entries at its finest. These are those, if you love 40s Irving Berlin music, there's very few that are better. Judy, for once again, what having a tumultuous shoot brings it on all cylinders. And I have to shout out Peter Lawford doing I'm Just a Fellow with an Umbrella, which was a revelatory moment for me as a eight-year-old watching that film for the first time. It would have made my list if she had ended up with Peter Lawford because I look at that movie far more for him than I do for her. Sorry, Judy, but you get it. Listeners, let us know if you have any other Judy movies that we did not mention. You can email them to us, send them to us via TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. We are on all social media platforms. Izzy, we would love to thank you again for coming on to talk with us. If you have not, again, listened to our episode that her and I did on Mommy Dearest on Patreon, you can listen to it now. Where can fans find you online? Feel free to let them know what you have coming up. So I am online at BK Rewind on Twitter, BK underscore Rewind, I think, on Instagram and YouTube as Be Kind of Rewind. Check out my YouTube channel. I'll have just published something in the last week of May. That's going to close out this edition of Ticklish Business. As we mentioned, we are on all these social media platforms, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Just search Ticklish Biz and you will find us. Please be sure to subscribe to us on those channels to keep up to date on what we have coming out. We are available on all podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you're listening via Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review because they really do help get the word out about us. And if you'd like to support us via your money and get access to free DVDs and Blu-rays, pins and other merchandise, or be on a future episode, as the mid-roll said, please consider supporting us via Patreon at patreon.com slash ticklishbiz. We are currently in the midst of our six-week series called Being Elvis, where we are looking at six very different Elvis biopics. We've looked at the Kurt Russell 1979 Elvis. We have looked at Don Johnson in Elvis and the Beauty Queen. And we have looked at the 1988 feature Elvis and Me 
we will be coming out this Friday with an episode about Elvis and the Colonel. Doesn't really matter who's playing Elvis in that one because the Colonel is played by Bo Bridges. So that should tell you a lot right there. We have some great Patreon goals as well. We would love to do an episode on the 1970s feature Love Story, which I have deemed the worst classic film of all time. Whether it is a classic, we can argue when we get to that goal. We also are hoping to do an episode on the biopic Gable and Lombard. If you wanted to see Clark Gable and Carol Lombard played by James Brolin and Jill Clayburgh, we can talk about that when we get to our Patreon goal. That's patreon.com slash ticklishbiz. We will be back in two weeks with a new episode. So feel free to catch up and we will see you soon. Till then.